please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. We are moving our way through this book of Proverbs. And as we go through, it becomes quickly apparent that the call of the book is the call to conform your life to the wisdom of God as revealed in Scripture. To find wisdom, you must, this might seem obvious, but you must want wisdom. You must posture yourself as a disciple of wisdom, and you must turn your back on folly. So this requires much effort. The first nine chapters of the book are really an introduction and their main goal is to persuade you to make this commitment to wisdom by explaining what wisdom is and how wisdom and folly affect your life through poems and proverbs and by telling stories. And so last week we heard the story of a woman who seduced a young man into an adulterous encounter using her beauty and smooth words to get him into bed with her, only to be discovered by her husband, who demands payment from the young man for his offense, and when he can't pay, he becomes the slave of the offended husband. That's quite the story. Stories allow us to see folly at play. And if you live long enough to watch people's lives, you realize that these stories map onto the reality that we see at work in the world. This week, we're going to hear the story of a different woman, a woman called Wisdom. This story allows us to see wisdom at play in daily life and in the creation of the world. This woman wisdom calls us to listen to her and she shows us how she works in daily life and then she shows us how she worked in creation and then she shows us the blessing available to those who follow her in her ways. We need to pray that we would posture ourselves so that we could receive what wisdom has to say to us today. So let's pray. Lord, you have shown us that living a life conformed to your will and ways doesn't come by simply going to a meeting doesn't come by passively being in a space, but it comes by hungering and thirsting after righteousness, hungering and thirsting after you. And so we pray that you would increase our hunger and increase our thirst that we may find wisdom from you. And we ask you this through your son, Jesus, in 
and you've promised to answer in him. Amen. Amen. We are going to go through the chapter verse by verse. So I'm going to read a few verses and comment. So I, I would urge you to keep your Bible open. Keep your finger on the text so that as we transition from verse to comment to verse, I think you'll be able to get a good sense of what this ancient wisdom is telling us. So chapter 8 Verse 1, the first section, I should say, chapter comes in four sections. First section is the call to hear. The call to hear, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. The forbidden woman of chapter 7, we met last week, meets the young man secretly as darkness falls. Lady Wisdom finds her way to the most public places in the city, the crossroads and the gates, where everyone travels, where business is transacted. And there she shouts out her invitation. Verse 4, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So her offer is to every human being who can hear her voice. Her call is not restricted to the rich or the religious, the educated or the powerful. Anyone within the sound of her voice can take her at her offer. Verse 5, oh simple ones, learn prudence. Oh fools, learn sense. Now, as we've heard before, the simple are those who've never been taught wisdom. And fools are those who've heard wisdom but ignore it. Prudence is the ability to carefully consider a situation and plan out a good plan of action in response. So she's calling out and she's saying, I have these things to give you, but you must apprehend them as I give them, you must receive them. And so in verse 6, she says, Hear, further motivating you to listen. Hear, for I speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And so she speaks only what is right and what is best. She tells the truth. In fact, she hates speaking false and manipulative words. They are an abomination to her lips. Her Words don't come with disclaimers in the fine print. She doesn't leave out the clause in the contract that leaves you ripped off. She'll make her offer up front. 
She'll tell you exactly what it will cost you, and she'll promise you rewards. And in a minute, she's going to give you some references so you can find out what her past accomplishments have been. This lady can deliver on what she says. Verse 10. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now maybe you thought that the way to the good life was through amassing a fortune. Or maybe it was just making just enough money to keep you comfortable. This woman calls you to stop making money your goal. Desire her wealth. Desire her wisdom rather than what wealth can bring. And that's the call. That's the call she makes. Wisdom is public. It's publicly testable. It's clear and right. It contains no deceptions. And it's better than all the money in the world. And so she says, desire me rather than what wealth can bring. That's what she calls you to do. Verses 1 through 11 are primarily commands. So as you read through those verses, she's telling us what to do. She hasn't minced her words. But in the next two sections, she tells you more about herself. You might call verses 12 to 31 her resume or her record of accomplishments. So the second section, verses 12 to 21, how wisdom functions in daily life. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So she lives in the same house with prudence, who I mentioned before can size up a situation accurately, and knowledge, the one who sees through the lens of truth, and discretion, one who knows how to act correctly in the moment. This is who she lives with. This is the companion she keeps. These are the, the kinds of skills that she wants to introduce you to in her house. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. So we find that the Lord is the source and overseer of all wisdom. To fear the Lord is to hate what he hates. And he hates false and manipulative words. Verse 14. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. Not only can she size up a situation and know what to do, she has the strength, the power to do it. Verse 15. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is right. By me, princes rule and nobles. All who govern 
justly. So wisdom is available to anyone who has a position of authority over other people. From kings at the top to dog catchers at the bottom, wisdom will guide them in how to exercise their authority with justice so that society is rightly ordered for everyone, not just the favored few. If you want to judge a person's fitness for public office, measure him, measure her by the standards of wisdom. And as I was writing that, it began to make me wonder, what if our only standard for choosing a candidate for office was, does this person walk in wisdom? How many would qualify for our vote? Verse 17, wisdom continues to speak to us. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Now, we find out that wisdom is not simply information for what to do in a situation. Wisdom is personal. You must love her. If you do, she will love you back. If you seek her diligently, she will allow herself to be found. Now, one of the big questions in this passage is whether or not Solomon is describing an actual person. Or is he creating an extended metaphor so that we can see the personal nature of wisdom in the person of this lady? And I think it is a metaphor. And I think it's more than that. I think there's an element of mystery here. And we're going to come back to that by the end of the sermon. Verse 18. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Even fine. Highly refined gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Oh, this has so much to say to us today. When Solomon became king, the Lord came to him in a dream. He said, ask of me anything you want. So this man, he's a young man. He's about to inherit a kingdom. His father was a legendary ruler. And so he asked God for wisdom. And the Lord said, because you asked for wisdom, you're going to get it. And you're going to get wealth and honor and a long life. See, the wise pursue wisdom and let the money come as it may. The wise don't calculate how acting in wisdom will affect their bank account. The wise walk in 
righteousness. In other words, treating others right and seeking a rightly ordered society. And they walk in justice, taking steps to correct wrongs and restore broken relationships in a just society. That is their intention. They want to make a contribution. They are not always calculating what they will receive. Now, as I was praying this morning, I, I sense the Spirit tell me to speak to you parents raising children right now. What is your goal in educating your children? I, what I often hear is, I want him to get into a good school so he can get a good job and provide for a family. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but it definitely is not primary. This book of Proverbs calls a young man to an education in wisdom, and wisdom promises that if you embrace her, she will provide for you. And so, when it comes to having enough, and later Proverbs will tell us that wealth is not always a blessing, when it comes to having enough, She'll take care of you if you'll just take care of her. If you love wisdom, you will pursue wisdom in all your relationships. You will pursue wisdom before you pursue money. And wisdom will be, as the text says, your inheritance. Wisdom will satisfy you whether she makes you rich or gives you just enough. Verses 12 to 21 show us how wisdom functions in daily life, especially in the life of someone who has authority over others. She guides them as they seek to establish a righteous society to right what is wrong in the sphere of her influence. If you love her, she will prosper you in this way. And then we come to, I would say one of the most beautiful passages in the book of Proverbs. The third part, how wisdom functioned in creating the universe. Verses 22 to 31. Now we learn that wisdom is more than good decision making. Wisdom is foundational to the very structure of the whole universe. Verse 22. Wisdom is speaking again. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. And so what we right away find out is that wisdom is not a technique, but the very activity of God that predates the creation of the whole earth. When God created, he created in and by and through and with wisdom. The personal God employed a personal wisdom to create a universe that has as its very structure and foundation wisdom. Everything you see around you, everything you hear, was created by God in wisdom. So let's listen to the story of how the universe came to be and then consider the amazing implications of this for us. Verse 24. 
When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom was active in all of this. This is language reminiscent of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Just as today we reach for scientific terms, the terminology of physics to describe how things came to be, the ancient world used the terms of this text. Before there was matter, wisdom came forward and out of the depths brought forth water and then mountains and hills and then fields with water rising to the skies, which then returned to water the earth, making it fertile. All of this wonderful structure was set into boundaries so that life could be sustained. Now, keep in mind, this is the Lord's personal activity bringing forth not only what exists, but setting the boundaries of how it all fits together. What if the sunrise was unpredictable? What if you couldn't be sure spring was going to be one month or five months? But the Lord set boundaries. What if you never knew that the ocean might suddenly just rise and cover the continent? The Lord has set boundaries on it all. This not only opens us and gives us the ability to study everything around us, knowing that a dependable God created a dependable universe so that we can live in it, it also makes us aware that the universe is not impersonal. Now, you've got you to hear me now because you've been lied to all your life. There is a counter-creation story in our day. And this story is the official doctrine of our governments and our educational institutions, our laboratories, and our businesses. That doctrine states that in the beginning there was unformed matter. We don't know where it came from. It was just there. But over time, by some mysterious mechanism, matter began to randomly change. And as it changed, it became more complex. And at some point, it produced cells that could reproduce themselves. And as these cells reproduced, we have what we call life. And we learn that the strong life continues on and the weak life dies out until it develops and one day you get a brain surgeon. 
Scientists in our room may not appreciate that description, but it's really right. In this world of the evolutionist, all matter is impersonal. All of life is a random event. Only the strong survive and flourish. In this world, the purpose of human life is to use nature to your benefit. The control of nature becomes your way of life. And this is why we love, and this is why our society is so infatuated with technology. We think technology preserves life, protects life, and extends life. We believe that it gives us the power to control the random events of life. If we're strong enough and wise enough to use nature and the technologies that control nature, if we learn to use them right, we will find the good life. And if we try and try and try and fail, the alternative is despair. When my skill and my technologies fail me, there's no place and there is no one left to turn to. So what we have in Proverbs and in the Bible is not a world that is made of impersonal matter changing over time, but the personal God creating a universe that operates according to His wisdom. Our job is not to control nature, but to live in the nature given to us as a gift. Our job is to model our lives after the wisdom of God, the same wisdom that created everything we can see in the known world. So now we have Lady Wisdom's resume, and we say, whoa, that's pretty good. The alternative in our day is the evolutionist view. We're called to force nature to dance to our tune. In the view of the Bible, we're called to join God in the dance that He created for us in the good world that He's made. And that's the sense of the next two verses. Verse 30. When I was beside Him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. See, she's creating and just rejoicing as he delights in seeing what she's doing. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And so as we saw in Genesis 1, the, the, the climax of creation is God's rest in his work, but the final act and goal of it all is a world that is inhabitable by the children of man. As the Lord employs wisdom, He creates a masterpiece which delights Him. His wisdom leads to His worship for what He has done is so very good. And this goodness is to be celebrated in praise. And the height of wisdom's rejoicing is that this created world is a place where human beings can live and flourish. Nature is not our enemy. Nature is our gift. The spirits and doctrines of the age we live in are cold and cruel. 
They make nature and our fellow human beings our opponents or tools for our use. They begin and end in selfishness. Each man for himself, each woman striving for her own. Not only is this false and dehumanizing, but it doesn't fit the world we know. When I get out of bed and I can tell there's light coming into my yard and I go out on the deck and the sun is rising over the hill on the other side of the small valley where I live. It filters through the leaves of the magnolia tree. The bluebirds are awake. There are many in my yard. And they begin to sing and flutter in and out of a mulberry tree across the lawn. And I stand there groggy and delighted. But I don't cry out, glory to natural selection. I cry out, glory to God, who makes a world with a predictable sun, a world that brings me the beauty of light filtered through trees and filled with bluebirds. <laughs> I don't want to possess these things. I don't want to force them into filling my desires. I want to fit into them and take the gifts that have been given to me and make it something beautiful for God, the one who made them and gave them to me to use for my good and the good of others and ultimately to his glory. That I would participate in this life the way wisdom participated in, in, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, that God would take delight in me as I rejoice in him and his gifts. Amen. This is the call of Proverbs chapter 8. That is the call of wisdom. Proverb 8 tells this story and shows us how wisdom works as God's master craftsman shaping all that exists. Which world do you want to live in? The world of impersonal matter or the world of a gracious and wise and generous God? And so we come to the conclusion of this passage the fourth section, the blessing that comes from responding to the call, verses 32 to 36. Verse 32, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. We find this wisdom not only by studying what God has made apart from God, but by listening to his words, which teach us how to fit into what he did and continues to do in the world. To find wisdom is to find God's blessing. It's a, it's a gift, but it does not come to the inattentive. You must watch for her, wait for her, listen to her, do what she says. If you neglect her, she's not gonna come chasing after you. Verse 35, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. 
but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So wisdom and folly are two competing choices, but they're not really the same thing. It's not like deciding whether a Chevy or a Ford truck will serve you better in the long run. To conform yourself to wisdom leads to life and, bless and the blessing of God himself. To turn from the search for wisdom to another way of life will harm you in the short run and in the long run will lead to your death. So the Lady Wisdom calls you to choose wisdom and to set yourself to learning her words by taking them into your heart and letting them direct your life in every situation that comes your way. Now, one of the debates, and we can read what people have said about this chapter going back to the second century, one of the debates actually in Jewish literature before that, but for Christians, one of the debates over the ages related to this chapter is whether this lady wisdom is an actual person a lesser God who serves the Lord, or if she's simply a metaphor, a way of vividly depicting how the personal God works in the world. In this metaphoric sense, wisdom is the way of God working to make and sustain the rule and rule the world. In the context of chapter seven through nine, where we have the forbidden woman, and then we have lady wisdom and then in chapter 9, we're going to meet Lady Wisdom in another context. I think it's pretty clear that this is intended to be a metaphor. Just like the seductress of chapter 7 is a metaphor of how temptation works on the desires of the simple and the fool. So we have a metaphor on how wisdom works to those who pursue her. Some have said that the writer is describing Christ prior to his incarnation. For we know that the New Testament describes Christ as being God's agent of creation. Now, I don't think the writer had Christ in mind. I don't think he had a person in mind. I think he was trying to show us the magnificent agency of God in creating the world as he did but I do think the text points as so many things in the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifices, they all point to Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus, the very word of God, the very intelligence that structures everything was, I quote from John chapter 1, he was in the beginning, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We go to the first chapter of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, which opens with these words. God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies Christ as the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. So the mystery of Proverbs 8 is that though the writer didn't know, he, he was saying better than he knew that Jesus Christ personally was engaged in creating everything that exists that's described in this beautiful chapter. In Christ, we see that the wisdom that created all things is not just personal in God, but personal in the eternal Son of God. And this wisdom of God, this Son of God, God Himself did something amazing. He entered into the world He created by taking on created human flesh so we could see how wisdom works in a human being. This should never stop astounding us. This not only helps us to see wisdom in person far beyond the metaphors of the book of Proverbs, it helps us to understand why the created order, while it is so amazing and does work very well and is so beautiful to us, can also be so dangerous and bad. When our father Adam turned his back on wisdom and followed folly, the judgment that resulted affected more than human society. It affected all of the created order. And so we not only inherit murder and adultery and theft and lying, but we have fires and floods and viruses and tornadoes. This is the world that Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, entered into this. He entered into this beautiful, finely tuned, messed up place. <laughs> Not only did he teach us how to live in a fallen world, he came to redeem the world. He began his work of redemption by first paying for the sins of individual people who will turn to him in faith so that the judgment of God is satisfied, but then he empowered them, he empowered us to live by wisdom in a fallen world with the promise of redeeming not only his people, but the very heavens and earth that we live in. So that even death will be forever destroyed. The writer of Hebrews understood the tension we live in in trying to be wise and follow Jesus in a fallen world. Uh, the question, Jesus, why don't you fix it all right now? The writer of Hebrews says that because of Jesus' death, God put everything in subjection to his son, leaving nothing outside his control. But he's going to tell us his work is not finished, not yet. He goes on to say, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
So the wisdom of God not only created the world, the wisdom of God not only showed us how to live in righteousness and justice, the wisdom of God came and saved us from our folly and our sin and the judgment that it's brought to this world. In Jesus Christ, we not only have the very wisdom of God who created all things and shows us how to live in the good earth he made, we also have the wisdom of God to teach us how to live as a fallen people in a fallen world. And most amazing of all, we have the wisdom of God using his great skill in love to die in our place so that we could be conformed to him in his image so that we too could live in the wisdom of God under the blessing and the favor of our Lord. This is the promise of Proverbs chapter 8, and it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we began this sermon praying that you would make our hearts want wisdom. And now you have displayed before us in the text of this chapter the, the beauty and the glory and the power of this wisdom. And so we pray that as we seek you and delight in you, you would conform us into the image of the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would make us wise in the way of the personal God who has gone before us to show us how to live wisely in this world. And we ask you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.